bitches wolf of with the green tea let me in and now my friend the first rule of italian driving what's behind me is not important Studying, studying, studying. Here comes Cooper out of that outside move again. Cooper, outside. Can he pull him up? Matt Cooper with a brilliant move on the outside. Never seen that done through Mosses. And look at the run that Matt Cooper has. Hey, 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 everybody, and welcome back to episode number 24 of Rumble Strip Radio, where we put you on pole position for news, commentary, and opinion in the world of motorcycle road racing. As always, I am your host, the Duke, and it's with pleasure that I welcome you back to yet another fine episode uh, of the show, and uh, it is going to be a fine episode as... Uh, Got, uh, I'd say, got a bit of a surprise, but we have a uh, interview scheduled, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I'm going to hold you, um, I'm going to hold you hostage for that. I'm going to work. We're going to run it. Uh, it's all set to go, but uh, we're not going to we're not going to do it right away. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. It was a it was a good weekend, a race in this past weekend, and uh, a lot of stuff to uh, to get to. But before we do that, let's get the administrative stuff out of the way. Uh, as always, the website, www.rumblestripradio.com. Uh, you can also find us over on the iTunes Music Store, uh, the Yahoo service, Adam Curry service, basically anywhere that uh, you can find podcasts, you can find Rumble Strip Radio. Also, feedback is always welcome, and we got some... Uh, Got a good good uh, good batch of feedback this week, and uh, much appreciated to everyone who dropped a note to me this week. And I still got one or two people I need to get back to. Uh, so apologize if I haven't got back to you yet. Uh, we should be getting to you uh, probably tomorrow as I uh, do some catch-up on some stuff. But, of course, the email for all feedback, positive and negative, or just general comments you want to send in, it is rumblestripradio at gmail.com. So lots of stuff to get to here today. And what are we going to kick it off with? We are going to kick it off with MotoGP for a couple things. Uh, number one, as uh, pretty much everyone uh, has seen, the 800s were in action as far as testing goes uh, on Monday at uh, Brno. Now, if you don't have uh, a MotoGP subscription, there is a copy of that video over on YouTube. Uh, I will n I'm not going to necessarily link to it, but... It's not real hard to find if you go over to YouTube, and if you don't know how to do YouTube, then, you know, well, that's your own fault. Find find some 14-year-old kid that, that'll point you to that direction. Tell him what you're looking for, and he'll pull it up for you, guaranteed. So what did we see? Well, both Yamaha and Ducati did bring out uh, their 800 bikes, and two very, uh, two very different sounding bikes. Uh, obviously, the Yamaha with the inline four, Ducati with the V4. And just a just a different sound to both of them, where the Yamaha was was shrieky, 
the Ducati just had this different. It, it, it wasn't the rumble of the V of the uh, V4 that they have now. It was definitely different. Uh, and you would guess that they're turning uh, probably two, three thousand more RPM than they are currently, uh, which probably puts them in the eighteen to nineteen thousand RPM range. They're they're almost starting to sound a little Formula One ish. And not that they weren't starting to be that way before, but really they're going to be now. Uh, the next thing you really noticed on these bikes is that they are much physically, well, I didn't say much physically, but they're definitely noticeably smaller. Um, are they 250 size-ish? Well, it's it's hard to say unless you were to see one roll up next to another one. But um, looking at the way that Rossi dismounted off his 800, where his leg little, with like with little effort went over the the, the windscreen of his bike, um, and like like he wasn't even trying uh, would leave you to believe it's they're pretty small and um rossi only put about four or five laps in on the bike i believe uh, i believe that's what it said in the press release and uh, seemed to have a pretty favorable impression uh, just from those few laps obviously the uh, the serious test he, i'm sure they wanted his feedback i'm sure there'll be some more testing going on shortly uh, but probably just wanted Rossi to confirm the the direction that they're going, and I believe Caparossi put in uh, quite a few laps uh, on um, on the GP7 Ducati. Excuse me. <coughs> mm, sorry about that. And um, lapped within uh, 1.4 seconds of the time of his uh, 990 bike. So the uh, obviously the one of the theories was that the nine you're going from 990 to 800 to make the bikes a little slower and a little safer. Well, if at this point, if they're only 1.4 seconds off, uh, by the time we roll around to the first round next year at uh, at Jerez uh, to kick things off, I believe that's where the uh, season kicks off next year. Uh, don't have the schedule handy, although I know it has been posted. I just don't have it in front of me. But... Uh, we're going to be within a couple tenths, guaranteed, if it, if not the same. So that obviously was a bogus idea. And it comes from two reasons. One, the 990s have so much power now, they're not really using them. Uh, the electronics have, have got it dialed back. Um, two, by the time we get to, to the first race next year, uh, all the tire companies, I mean, they're going to take what they've learned this year, obviously, what they do after every race, really, and come up with something better. Well, by the time we get to uh, the first race next year, the tires are going to be even that much better. So uh, between, I'm going to say more usable power, but using most of the power more of the time uh, and tires, you're going to see essentially the same lap times. Now, I did see a comment. For, where did I see that comment? I apologize. I don't remember. Uh, but it was an offhanded comment where in two or three years, Honda is going to be lobbying to bring it down from, oh, that's what it was. It was a, uh, it was an interview, uh, uh, with one of the Ducati people, I believe, who said that, uh, they want to see, Honda wants to see it, uh, the displacement for MotoGP back to 500 cc's, uh, but with four strokes only. So, you know, we got 990, we're going to go 800, and then, you know, maybe we'll go 750, and, and then we'll get to 500. Who knows what it is? You know, like, like I've said before, uh, when it comes to MotoGP, Honda likes to write the rules for everybody else, and then, you know, that way they have the upper hand. Now, here's the problem with that theory. In the past, 
when uh, uh, what the hell what the hell is that group called that owned Dorna the uh, CBC C- CP whatever it is uh, anyways Dorna was sold new group controls it they might not be as receptive uh, as the past regime for Honda to hand them um, the new rule book and say here's what we want uh, and then for that to get implemented and that w- in my mind that would be a good thing. Uh, that we've had a little stability for a few years, and what have you seen? You're seeing, uh, you're seeing the Kawasaki's almost, uh, almost competitive. Uh, at least they're able to qualify well. They're usually running in the top, you know, five, six, seven bikes. Um, you know, not where they want to be, but they're, they're pretty close. Another year, and they'd be there. Same thing with Suzuki. I mean, we've seen what uh, at times Hopkins has done this year. Uh, we've definitely seen what Vermeulen's done a few times this year. Again, one more year if we were staying at 990, and I guarantee you that Kawasaki and Suzuki would be pretty competitive on on most weekends in the meantime you have uh, yamaha ducati and honda you know going you know trying to cut each other's throats at the front at this point so can you imagine having five manufacturers uh you know in a sense going for it every weekend that, that would be great well that's what happens when you get uh, consistency uh in 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 the series and in in your rules um and honda doesn't like that Okay, this is my opinion, but this is this is the vibe that I get. Honda doesn't like that because they want to keep the upper hand. Understandable. They, you know, why do you play the game? You play the game. You play the game to win. You play, or I'm sorry, you play to win the game. Sorry, that's a got to got to get the Herm Edwards quote. Why you play to? Why do you play? You play to win the game. Herm Edwards. Anyways, um, so yeah, they 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 want to take every advantage they can to uh, to make sure that they stay on top. And, um, you know, that's understandable, but someone's got to have a little backbone and say, no. And, um, you know, if Honda wants to take their ball and go home, okay, fine. No problem. Uh, they'll, they'll come, you know, back pretty soon. And, and why do I say that with confidence? Very simple. Honda was one of the first people to pull out of World Superbike when they went to spec tires. Guess who was the first people to kind of, you know, inch their way back in with a little backdoor support and maybe a little bit more backdoor support and maybe even next year running a full factory team of, you know, of all the Japanese guys. Uh, yeah, it's Honda. Go go figure. Hmm. Guess they, you know, they want to win. They need to put their stuff out there. They're going to play. So anyways, um, so the 880s, they, they, they look pretty interesting, could be pretty exciting. Now, I guess the question is, you know, what's going to happen with the with uh Kawasaki and uh, and Suzuki and uh, we haven't seen the Honda bikes yet but uh, they've been I guess they've been running around in Japan for for quite a while now uh getting dialed in so I'm sure those will come around at the towards the end of the year and I would guess the Danny Danny Nikki any of those guys not really going to get a, a full run on it until contracts are sorted out, although they might, Danny might be do some testing on, might be do, doing some testing on that here um, after Malaysia. I think it's after Malaysia, somewhere in there. Anyways, um, since he's going to be on the Repsol bike next year and probably the number one rider on the Repsol bike next year, you know, they're, Honda's doing everything they can to make sure he already is. And, you know, okay, well, we're not going to go off on that rant again. So, anyways, the uh, the 880s were out, so that was. It was exciting to see, you know, new, um, uh, new, uh, new bikes out there. Just, a, just different, just change. So, uh, what else? Uh, the right, the 
rider merry-go-round still way up in the air, and uh, some of the rotors, rotors, rotors floating around. The rumors floating around uh, include Makoto Tamada uh, getting the boot and going into World Superbike, losing his JIR, JIR seat, which really is not a shock to anyone. Um, I guess number one on the list of people for that seat is uh, Shinin Nakano, who, um, you know, looking for maybe something a little better than what he's got at Kawasaki and um, on a more consistent tire. So uh, the Honda on Michelin's, you know, that would be a good for him. Um, Makoto is a Honda boy, so chances are he'd find he'd slide in somewhere with Honda and World Superbike. Where exactly? I don't know. Um, you know, Tenkata could be uh, could be a place for him. Uh, maybe some other team. It's hard. It's hard to say. You know, you could think that if uh, Tamada wasn't so tied to Honda, that he and Shinny could uh, could just swap seats because uh, obviously the Kawasaki running Bridgestones and Tamada's problems really started once once his team switched from from Bridgestones to to the Michelins, and that was a, a Honda corporate decision. That was not a team or. A, or a, a Makoto Tamata decision. So, uh, other rumors floating around are uh, Casey Stoner being offered three million to go ride for Ducati, which would be an interesting move. And you know, it, it, here's the thing: the two the two real big names up in the air as far as riders with current rides are Stoner and Hayden. Um, you know, Hayden's on the last year of his two-year deal. Stoner was on a one-year deal with LCR. Stoner looks to be a pretty hot property, and there's a lot of people who want him. And, you know, Yamaha apparently wants him. Uh, Ducati obviously wants him, and, and Honda might want him. Now, there's has been some stuff floating around that where uh, Rossi was bad-mouthing Stoner, and whether it was taken in or out of context, context it's hard to say. Um, I think... It, it, my take on it was that Rossi thinks Stoner has got the talent. He just needs a little more maturity. So I, I think they'd be fine if they were teammates next year. I think they'd get along. Um, not that that's really important in MotoGP because you you may have a team, but it's an, essentially two teams within one team in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and of course, Nicky. So you got to figure where whoever whoever pulls the trigger first, whether Nick goes to. Or whoever whoever pulls the trigger first with whom, whether it's you know Ducati or Yamaha pulls the trigger with with uh, Stoner or or Hayden, I think it's equally likely that the, either two riders could end up on either bike. I think it's equally likely that Nikki will end up on a Yamaha as a Ducati. Um, in a lot of ways, Nick on a Ducati makes a lot of sense from a marketing standpoint for for other reasons. Even if he doesn't win um, the, the the MotoGP championship this year. Um, Nicky is a very marketable person. Um, he's got some style. He's been in some of the Italian fashion magazines. Um, North America is also one of Ducati's, it is Ducati's largest market. So given that the AMA, or excuse me, that it's official that Ducati is pulling out of the AMA, um, that I'm not gonna say could repair some damage, but you know, it could go a ways towards, uh, smoothing some things out. And and Stoner on uh, on Yamaha, in a sense, they could be grooming him to take over for Rossi if Rossi retires after 07 or 08. Um, and then there's the whole uh, Aussie connection with Jeremy Burgess could just slide in, uh, right in and, and deal with Stoner right there. So on the other hand, uh, you know, Stoner turns down $3 million to go ride a Ducati. 
Uh, unless he's getting more scratch from someone else, that's that's a pretty sweet deal. So especially for a guy who's been in MotoGP for one year and you you know is a bit of a known crasher all throughout his career. So um, yeah, sixth and I'm sorry. Oops, wrong position. There we go. Stoner, yeah, sixth and sixth and point. So he's had a good year. I think he's a hugely talented kid, but uh, we'll see what happens uh, with that. But that's you know that's kind of the merry-go-round. Um, a few other seats up. I mean, uh, the other big news or the other big rumor, of course, is what's happening with Dantine, and um, this is a something was uh, over in uh, over at Crash.net. That uh, you know, supposedly Ducati has signed off on James Toslin being okay to ride for Dantine next year, and um, you know, obviously the other person potentially for Dantine Ducati next year is is Max Biaggi. So we have a whole new whole new crew. Um, you know, you could have a lot more money coming in uh, because of those two riders. Um, Toslin being a Brit, Brit, uh, uh, the UK is very important to Dorna as far as TV coverage. So Dorna might even. Uh, uh, kick in for part of the salary there. Uh, Biaggi uh, can bring his own money. Um, and also, you're looking for tires. And uh, as I said before, the odds of Dantine running Dunlops next year start at, uh, start at zero and go down uh, quickly from there. Uh, you know, would they run Bridgestones or Michelin's? Hard to say. You would think Bridgestone just because uh, Ducati Bridgestone it's, makes it easier to uh, to transfer information over. Now, uh, if they run Bridgestones, I, I guarantee just putting good tires on the Dantine bike would would improve their their lap times by over a second. I mean, they're the Michelin or excuse me, the Dunlops they're running are two you know two generations behind whatever the Tech Three team has got right now. So um, you move them to 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 the Stones with uh, with Toslin and uh, Biaggi, and I guarantee you, you're looking at guys who can definitely run in the top ten. You know, Toslin had uh, won the championship world superbike, had an off year for for whatever reason, um, has really made a huge comeback uh, with the Tenkade team, but that was a one-year gig, and um, he, he definitely wants to go MotoGP racing, so, you know, he's, he's going to do what he can. I think he's smart enough not to, to, to make sure that whatever he goes to uh, is going to be a good gig, but uh, it's hard to say. Now, so who ends up on the LCR team? You know, who from 250s comes up? Uh, well, we we do know that um, the the Lollipop Guild uh, will be staying in two fifties as uh, as uh, George Jorge, Jorge Lorenzo uh, is signed uh, two more to uh, for two more years. I think two more, one or two more years. Sorry, uh, hold on. No, just for 07. I'm sorry. He signed for 07 with Aprilia, so um, so we know that he's uh, he's going to stick around and he's not going to be. In the mix there, but uh, you have uh, DeAngelis and um, uh, uh, Davizioso, uh, who uh, who are looking to 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 make the move up, and um, you know hard to say what the uh, the Ioyama boys are going to do. I mean, uh, Hero's got a pretty good gig with KTM, and that bike's really just starting to come around. Um, he might want to spend one more year with them before he thinks about making the move up. And uh, Shuey uh, has not had uh, the year that he really needed to have uh, to even think about making a move up into uh, into MotoGP either. So 
you know, we'll see what happens with, with those guys. So, you know, that kind of, kind of gives you the idea of where the, where the circus is going. Another question is, is if Nakano goes to, to the JIR, also known as Kanaka Minolta, um, you know, even money, whether, uh, uh Randy Dupunye is going to be sticking around on the Kawasaki for next year. You know, who, who's Kawasaki going to run then? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You, you got to assume they're going to snatch someone up from the, from the two fifties or, um, uh, or bring Fonzo Nieto over from, uh, from world Superbike. He's, he started to kind of put it together over there, uh, on the Kawasaki's crew there and maybe slide him over again. Uh, he's a two, he's a proven 250 rider. And given where the 800s are, you know, where the series is going with the 800s being very much like a 250, um, he might be a good call for that. It, you know, it's hard to say. So anyways, uh, that, uh, that's sort of the, uh, the MotoGP circus. And, uh, of course they were over at, uh, Burnover this past weekend and it was a, was a great race. Um, as long as you, well, the two fifties were a pretty good race and the MotoGP was a great race. As long as you weren't watching the race for the lead, because there was no race for the lead. I mean, you want to talk about, uh, you know, just checking out on everybody. It, that was, uh, Caparossi. I mean, obviously, um, the 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 summer layoff did hit did him some good as uh, he was just oh wait a minute I'm sorry All right excuse me yeah hello hi oh, good night oh, no sorry I'm not gonna do it Nick Harris anyway let's get our Nick Harris thing in here he and uh, and it was funny because <laughs> I think this is the first race I've ever heard or maybe not heard that Nick Harris's two uh, two favorite phrases in the world come out. Number one, that someone was, quote, absolutely flying or what a cracking good race. You know, those were two two phrases we didn't hear out of Nick Harris's mouth this week, or at least in the MotoGP race. And I don't even remember him in the 250 race, to be honest with you. So, um, but yeah, Caparossi, he just he just checked out and was gone and he ended up winning, what, seven seconds um, at the end of the day. <coughs> It was, um, oops, how about MotoGP? There we go. Uh, okay, five seconds. Well, it was pretty much seven seconds. Then he dialed it way back on the last lap. But, I mean, he pretty much just smoked everybody. And and uh, obviously the weekend didn't start out that way. If you've read any any of the comments he made all weekend, that they were literally ready to uh, fill the bike up with C4 and just blow it up because it was so bad. But uh, made the changes overnight on Friday night, and all of a sudden it went from, uh, you know, um, chicken crap to chicken salad, I guess, or, or whatever, uh, you know, chicken liver to pate, uh, whatever, however you want to say it. Um, so that was, you know, I, I mean, he just pretty much flew away at the race. Uh, Rossi appeared, uh, appeared to be uh, pretty solid, although had absolutely no answer for Capa Rossi. And, um, and of course the Hobbit was up there and it was a great battle between the two. And, and, uh, both of them had some pretty interesting lines, although there was at least three times that I counted where Danny tried to put the bike um, somewhere where there was no way it could go, and damn near took Rossi out at least twice. I mean, there was once I was just waiting for him to torpedo torpedo him. I mean, his his front wheel was about on the pivot of the of, of Rossi's swing arm, and I'm I'm just waiting for him to both get booted off of there off off of that uh, hmm, almost DeSalvo esque moment. Um, but it didn't happen. So, 
And then Rossi, you know, Pedroza's bothering him, bothering him, bothering him. And then, of course, Rossi does what Rossi does. The last four laps, wicks it up, and uh, and ends up gone and, and takes, you know, what, three, two, three seconds at the end uh, away from the Hobbit. So, um, you know, Rossi and, and Pedroza both looking at and, and 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 Hobbit, crappy, crappy uh, qualifying for him. And as I was doing my tipping, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I actually did pick Caparossi to win the race. So I did have that right. And uh, I ended up picking Hayden for the podium, just figuring there was some momentum going. And I'm like, hmm, hmm, maybe you go with the Hobbit, just for what? Because he, you know, he's done well here in in 250s. And I said, no, we'll we'll stick with the guns and 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 go with the kid. Yeah, well, there you are. And and I I picked Dantine bike as your uh, as the first DNF. I just picked the wrong one. I I had. Uh, Silva rather than uh, Cardoso going out, so and I got the win. I got the winner, so I got a chunk of the points, just not all the points, and I'm still mired down in there. But at least I had something of a comeback for tipping. Not that, and over at that's over at RightOnTo.com in case uh, in case you want to go check out where the standings are. Rumble Strip Radio, you can see where we are in the standings for tipping. Um, obviously the um, well, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Uh, someone who had another really good race, a solid race. Uh, and someone who absolutely needed to have a, a good race uh, was Casey Stoner. Now we talked about uh, you know the opportunities that he uh, he may have floating out there for him, and uh, where did he qualified twelfth? Yeah, and by like corner two or corner three, he was up to fourth. So he was up there all uh, all race. But he's he's been smoking the starts all year long. So I guess that shouldn't be uh, too much of a surprise that. That he had that you know that kind of start and and was up there mixing it up, um, you know. In the next break, I think Matt Malad needs to go over and uh, go to the go to the uh, go to the west side of the country and and have a conversation with the wee lad and figure out what he's doing to, for those starts. For Maladin can't get the start, but obviously we're apples and oranges, and I'm only mostly kidding. But um, so Stoner was up there. He had a pretty solid race, mixed it up with some people. But it's just the fact that he had a good solid race and finished the race. You know, he had two two races in a row. Well, one, he crashed in practice, and there was a whole controversy about the doctor there and not the the, the track doctor, not the doctor, um, not signing off on him to be uh, to, to go out and run uh, at Saxon Ring. And then, of course, the crash at Laguna. So he, he needed he needed to get something back and to, to get a little momentum going for himself. Um so it was good to see. Uh, Kenny Jr. had a solid race. Kenny Jr. had another Kenny Jr. race. Looks good the first few laps, fades back, and then everyone else's tires are shagged. And then, you know, he makes up a bunch at the, at the end, and, and uh, Kenny Jr. finishes fourth. Blandry, solid, uh, decent run in fifth. Okay, so the big deal of the race was where Nicky Hayden, what happened to Nicky Hayden? All right, Nick ended up finishing ninth, and not a good ninth either. Uh, the first few laps, he was up there. He was battling. And we're like, okay, this is what he needs to do. He needs to make sure he's on the podium. If he can give Caparossi a run, let's go. Um, you know, a little head-to-head run with uh, with Rossi and uh, up there in Pedroza as well. But um, here's um, here's where he gambled and lost. Uh, he was, if I if memory serves, the only person um, not he was the only person to run a hard rear tire. Uh, which is an interesting choice considering that it was supposed to rain and I don't think it was that hot. Um, so I'm not exactly sure why they went that route, but whatever. Um, everyone else was on medium, medium, yeah, medium rears or medium hard rears. Medium, medium hard. Yeah, something like that. But he was the one with the hard. He went with hard. 
and um, the uh, the tire never came in at all. In fact, in the last the last corner, the last lap, he lost two spots. Uh, simply, you saw him when he got on the gas, the back the back tire just spun up, and uh, and uh, both Hopkins and Nakano were able to get around him. He just there was no traction back there, and just because you go with a hard tire doesn't mean that it's going to come in at the end. You can pick, in a sense, too hard of a tire, and there's just no traction. Uh, well, relatively speaking, no traction. And, and that, in a sense, is what happened. Had he gone with a medium rear tire, not granted, the medium rear tire is going to affect handling and all that other stuff. But, um, you know, it would have probably been a completely different race. You, know, you saw him look at the tire when he got off the bike going, what the hell happened? Is it shagged? Is it torn? And it looked relatively good. There looked like a little bit of tearing on there in a couple spots, but certainly not too bad. It looked relatively in decent shape. Um, but it was just wrong compound, I guess. And um, that pretty much pretty much summed it up so um you know hayden got a little lucky in that uh caparossi won and then uh, pedroza finished third so his two people his two people closest in the championship um oops you know rossi and pedroza you know rossi finished second it's fine because he had what 50 points 51 points to rossi and he had 38 you know 36 30 some odd points to to uh to the hobbit so the fact that you know that got switched up minimize the damage now he still has what 25 points which is a decent but he did have you know in a sense what 10 points uh 9 10 11 points taken out um for uh for the hobbit and he really needs to worry more about the hobbit than he does about rossi at this point for two reasons uh and again this is this is where i'm coming from and i'm going to sound a very like a very biased american here but it's honda politics so there you are um, but Danny is so much Honda's boy of the moment. Okay, not only not okay. Get Mulder and Scully can come out for this because I'm I'm talking huge conspiracy theory, and it's not like I'm the only one because I've seen this floating around on the different message boards. It is not out of the realm for Honda to do something for Danny Pedrosa to win the championship yet this year. I don't count that out at all. And I realize that I sound like I'm crazy and a conspiracy theorist and, you know, a typical American. Whatever. Fine. I'm not, I don't think they're, they're not going to be obvious about it, but there's subtle ways of doing things, of, of sabotaging it. As long as a Honda wins the championship, they could give a shit who it is. Seriously. So, anyways. And being that, you know, Danny's their boy and that Nick has yet to sign a contract for next year, I, I tell you what, um, everything still is possible. Um, yeah, so there's there's that. And and like I said, Nick needs to worry more about Danny than, than uh, Valentino at this point. Um, you know, Melandry with uh, only two points behind Rossi. So, you know, do you say that he's still in the mix as well? Well, maybe, maybe not, you know. Melandry has his, his ha, has his moments where uh, where he can throw it down too. So we will see what happens. We uh, what do we have? We've got uh, two weeks till uh, the Malaysian um, GP. So we've uh, that will be that'll be pretty interesting. And uh, what else was it? Just a just a great furball from uh, you know. Well, second and third ended up you know kind of moving away from the pack. Um, there was more of a four way battle for a while, but then. Uh, Rossi and and the Hobbit checked out a little bit, and then Rossi checked out from from uh, from Danny. So 
that was that. And then, you know, fourth through, uh, through ninth ended up being a, a pretty good battle between Melandry, uh, Caparossi. Oops, sorry. <laughs> wrong, uh, wrong thing. Uh, Roberts, Melandry, Stoner. And then, uh, those, those three were together for a while and had some good battles. Uh, then Hopkins and Nakano were closing and then Nick with his, uh, with his move backwards. And of course, Colin rounded out your top 10. As far as points go, let's flip it back there and go, uh, Hayden on top still with, uh, 201, Pedroza 176, uh, the Doctor 163, Melandry 161. Caparex in at 151 in uh, fifth spot. Casey Stoner 101 in sixth. Kenny Jr. in seventh spot with 92. Colin Edwards 90 points in eighth. Hopper in ninth with 83 points. And Shininakano runs out your top 10 with 75 points. So uh, the 250 race was, um, that ended up being a pretty good race. And um, of course the uh, the Lollipop Guild guy uh, ended up Taking a taking a nice win there, uh, with uh, Davizioso and uh, Hero having a really good race. Uh, ended up sliding back in the third spot. He uh, he actually got up and uh, he led a lap or so, uh, which was cool. And uh, I think Jorge's learning a little uh, little racecraft there. He, he he got out, led, slid back, kind of learned from everyone, and said, "Okay, see you bye. Let's let's get the hell out of here." Ended up taking a uh, you know comfortable win, a two and a half second win there, and then. Uh, um, you know, I, I, Ioyama kind of got, <laughs> as he said, he fell asleep in one of those last corners and, uh, uh, Davizioso, I, I swear he just decided not to break going through. He almost went, uh, you know, it's a corner too early, but he almost went, uh, Fabrizio through there. You know, if you know what I'm saying, just went through a corner with, you know, much, much faster than you'd expect someone to go through there. Um, but he, uh, he pulled it off there at the end, but, uh, Hero had a, had a pretty solid run there and, uh, in, in third spot and Locatelli, you know, he looked like he was going to make a move up there. You know, he, he started way, you know, back and not, not the greatest of starts made the charge was, was, was challenging there. And then, uh, and then what about half distance just kind of fell off. Although he seemed to be very happy with his run. Um, if you, if you heard the TV interview, uh, after the race with him. So, uh, you know. The 250 race was definitely um, had some good battles in it, about but but finished about where you'd expect it to. Uh, so uh, top ten was uh, was Lorenzo Davizioso Ayoyama Locatelli fourth, Hector Barbara in fifth, uh, Shui Ayoyama sixth, uh, Cardenas with a with a nice run in uh, seventh, Gintoli in eighth, Simon Shelley ninth, and uh, Jakob Smertz uh, is your top uh, top ten there as far as points. Uh, Jorge uh, inches out a few more points here, 199 to uh, 192 for Davizioso. Takahashi, uh, not a good weekend for him at all. Uh, 133 in third. Uh, Hero up to uh, fourth now with 132. DeAngelis uh, in fifth with 131. Locatelli, 127 in sixth. Hector Barber in seventh with 111. Gintoli in eighth spot uh, with 73. Simoncelli, 62 points in uh, ninth. And uh, Shui Oyama, uh, 58 points in 10th. Um, have not seen the 125 race. Uh, just haven't had a chance to uh, to watch it yet. Uh, but it was uh, Bautista, Calio, Pacini, uh, Gadea, Faubel, Peshik. Uh, you would have thought Peshik would have you know been pushing a little harder there. Um, 
being in front of the home crew, but oh well. Um, especially after the good run that he had at uh, Saxon Ring. Uh, Luthi, uh, Tomic- Tomicelli, Tomicelli, whatever. Uh, Corsi and uh, Jean-Olive uh, is your top ten. Uh, for points, sorry, uh, the race was Bautista, Calio, uh, Tomicelli, uh, Gadea, Luthi, um, uh, Pacini, Terrell, Olive, Nieto, and uh, Lai. So, obviously, Peshek didn't have a good weekend. Um, what did he end up? Did he end up crashing? I I don't remember. Sorry. Like I said, I haven't seen the race, and I heard a couple things, but but that was pretty much it. So, uh, any other notes that I have here off the 250 race? Uh, what is it? 017 uh, at the stripe was the uh, was the difference between um, uh, Oyoyama and um, Oops, and uh, Davizioso. Sorry, I'm just clicking between a couple things here. Um, hold on a second. What the hell did I even write here? Oh, two-thirds race uh, is when uh, Jorge began to kind of run away and uh, pulled like six-tenths on one lap. That's what my notes say here. Hope no one ever has to uh, has to ever have to uh, uh, decipher my notes in in the future. You're <laughs> It'll be a sad thing if you uh, ever have to try and do that. So, let's see where do we uh, where do we sit right now? All right, let's um, yeah, let's uh, let's kick it out to uh, to a couple people right now, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll kick it back on the other side here. So, with that, let's hear uh, some from some friends of the strip. Calling all Canadians! Do you ride a bike on the back of a bike or daydream about either one? Do you like to lumber along on a Sunday morning or scrape your pegs in the twisties? Do you like to dodge sand dunes or ford rivers? Well, if you answered yes to any of the above, then why not give a listen to the Twisted Wrist podcast? The Twisted Wrist is the first podcast dedicated to the Canadian rider from a Canadian perspective. So why not toss on your jacket and gloves, lace up your boots, strap on your lid, and plug into the Twisted Wrist? Your ticket to Northern Adventure is at twistedwrist.blogspot.com. The Twisted Wrist, podcasting with a mouthful of bugs. 240 horsepower, 200 miles per hour, two wheels with no roll cage. This is the world of motorcycle road racing, the pinnacle of motorsport. I'm Bob Hayes, host of MotoGP OD, the podcast about motorcycle road racing. Tune in each week as we discuss what's happening in MotoGP, World Superbike, and AMA racing. Race reports, tech talk, opinion, reader email, we have it all. Just go to www.motogpod.com and subscribe. Hey all you motorcycle nuts out there in podcast land. Are you looking for more Moto Chat to fill up your time between rides? My name is Prubert and I am inviting you to check out Motocast. Me and my co-hosts Nate and Brandon talk to you about anything from moto product reviews to great roads. And we may even toss in some special guests from time to time. So check us out at motocast.libsyn.com. That's motocast.libsyn.com. We're three riders that really like to talk. Joining us now, he is a former Wira Endurance champion. He is the 2003 Superbike champion, or excuse me, Superstock champion. He probably wishes he was the Superbike champion. Uh, currently third in points in Formula Extreme, three points behind uh, Eric Bostrom. He is the Aryan writer, Josh Hayes. Josh, thanks for joining us on Rumble Strip Radio. Good to have you. How you doing? Thanks, Luke. I appreciate the call from you, buddy. Hey, no worries. So um, VIR just got done, and 
was a you had a really good form extreme race although i would imagine didn't quite end like you expected or wanted it to yeah you know i mean i felt like i did my job pretty good but uh that last uh that last lap was uh pretty hairy pretty exciting and i didn't give up all the way to the finish line even rolling into the into the very last turn i, I really thought i was going to have the race covered because uh our bike was really fast and got a good drive and and um you know, Eric was handed a little bit of a gift in uh, two lappers to draft all the way to the finish line. I think that helped him out just a little bit that he needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you had that fancy, uh, fancy uh, aero body work that Honda gave you for the race, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because we had the same stuff at Daytona and nobody noticed. <laughs> it was just painted black. And this time, the stuff that showed up was already red. And I guess Kevin didn't want to change the color, so we just ran the red stuff. And yeah. everybody thinks, it's like, oh, wow, you know. Gotcha. Um, so far, the season has been has been pretty good for you in Formula Extreme. Um, overall, are you happy with the way the season has gone? Yeah, you know, uh, other than the fact that we've only won one race. Um, otherwise, you know, I've been on the podium all except one race. I had one race that I just couldn't put it together very well, and and uh, Danny Eslick beat me to the podium spot and. I was really happy for Danny, but at the same time, it was pretty frustrating for me. And and uh, the only other thing has been uh, this string of pole positions that the Salvador's been able to put together. It seems like every time I've done done something right or done a good one, I get beat out by less than a tenth of a second or something, you know. And that itself has been pretty frustrating because those points have proved to be pretty valuable here at the end of the season. And uh, I hate that I'm giving those up. But otherwise, I feel like, you know, I've learned a whole lot this year. I've been putting together some pretty decent races, and and uh, here at the end, I'm enjoying the pressure. I'm enjoying the challenge and trying to put together some new speed. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, anytime you can get on a motorcycle that's already been developed by guys like you know Jake Zimke and Miguel DeSemel, and you can go out and and go faster than them at each particular track that we go at, that's a that says something, I think. No, I, I think, I, like you mentioned, the uh, Infineon was the only race you weren't on the podium, and, and you've been solid there. I mean, it really started with Daytona right from the right from the get-go. Um, in a sense, since Jake really wasn't, I mean, you didn't win the race because Jake won the race, but in a sense, he wasn't running the series, so that had to feel pretty good right from the start and give you some good confidence. Yeah, for sure, but, you know, I'm a racer, man. I wanted to beat Jake as much as anybody else out there, and uh, I felt like I had the, all the equipment in place to do it, and... I think I just goofed up a little bit on the uh, on the first tire leading up to the first pit pit stop, and uh, it ended up costing me quite a bit of time, and and that's why we ended up second. I may have, I mean I made a run of it as much as I could at the end of the race, but uh, you know second was good, it was all right, you know, and we came out of more or less with the points lead, which was pretty good because uh, a lot of people I think had counted us out before we ever got to the first race, and uh, so here to be to be you know only three points out of the championship with two races to go in a three-way battle i think it's uh pretty exciting yeah it's funny because formula extreme is sort of the well at least the way the tv casts it and, and a lot of people do it's like the last it's the bottom run of the series yet it's the it's been some of the best racing and it's the closest points battle of the series yeah well you know for sure i think that formula extreme needed some new blood and it's gotten it this year you have a a new factory effort in it, and I believe that the that the lure of the class is actually starting to come around. People are really enjoying it. People are enjoying the races, and 
the bikes are a lot of fun to ride, and, and I think we may see even more key players in it in the next couple of years. I think it's a great class, and I hope that more manufacturers come and actually are a part of it. And, uh, you know, it's like I'm a racer. I want to race where all the fast guys are, so I'd like to see a lot of them come and, and show up to our class and uh, showcase what they can do. You uh, you bring uh, two things that were to my next two questions, so thank you. Um, uh, one with the uh, with the rule changes that are coming about for next year, allowing uh, Triumph to run the six seventy five, Ducati to run uh, their seven forty nine, which can go out to eight fifty. Um, I think BMW and Moto Guzzi have bikes they could throw in there. Um, that that gets you really excited for for the depth that the that the class may become. I mean, I think it's really good to see a, a large array of, of motorcycles in one class that can go out and race. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't think we're going to see many factory-backed, you know, or um, big teams from these other manufacturers, from Ducati and Trump, think people like that coming into the class. I think we'll see more privateer efforts, but hopefully, these people, you know, with the Formula Extreme rules, will be allowed to do modifications to possibly get their bikes a good bit closer and they'll be much 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 better than a than a production motorcycle so they should still be exciting to watch and you get to uh find their strengths you know and i think that should be fun it will really allow a really an imaginative and creative tuner to, to put together a good motorcycle to come racing with now stepping stepping outside of being um of of um uh, of your sign sign position uh, as a rider would you from a Formula Extreme standpoint, and maybe even from a Super Stock standpoint, would you like to see it so that the um, the direct factory team, like you would have to be a support team to race in the class rather than have like an Aaron Yates and Super Stock or even some of the Yamaha guys, how they, however that deal is structured, um, not be able to race, that it has to be the support team in there rather than the factory team? I think that um, in a perfect world, my idea would be that Superbike and Formula Extreme would be the more factory supported classes and that super sport and super stock would be more along the lines of the privateers because they're much less expensive to race. Formula Extreme, you know, is every bit as expensive as a super bike. You're talking about, you know, just uh, really good suspension components that are very expensive. You're also talking about engine management systems and electronics that are state of the art right along the, right along with super bikes. So I think the expense, you really get more bang for your buck by allowing the factories to go in there and do that with the budgets that they have and bring out the most trick, awesome motorcycles they have to offer. And I think the public likes to see that kind of stuff. Riding uh, riding the Formula Extreme bike this year, did that take some of the... um I don't know. I guess maybe disappointment, or I'm not sure what word you'd want to, might want to use for uh, for not riding Superbike this year. Oh, that's a toughie. You know, after riding Superbike for two years, you know, it's hard to leave that class. It's the premier class in the series, and of course, everybody wants to be a part of that. And I'm I'm one, especially. And for me, I for sure left with feeling that I still had a lot of business I, I hadn't yet accomplished. And uh, I hadn't accomplished all my goals in Superbike. And, I mean, do you ever, though, right? So um, my picture and my idea whenever I came back to Arian Racing was, you know, what if I come here and I do what Kevin Arian asked me to do and I do Superstock and Supersport or FX or whatever it is in the support classes he wants me to do. I'm hoping that Honda will reward me and give me my chance back at Superbike on some factory equipment that I can go there and, and showcase to my talents on those things. And, uh so I, it's all in the plan, you know. My plan has always been to 
sort. My way into a factory superbike, and uh, uh, where I was and the way things were going, that wasn't going to be possible. So, uh, luckily, Kevin came to me and was very interested in me running on his stuff, and uh, hopefully, it will lead to uh, great things from there. You've uh, you have a his- have a history with Kevin, uh, having run on the team before. Um, mm-hmm. Were you guys able to pick that relationship right back up and just kind of click back with the crew immediately? Um, yeah, I mean, well, it, it's funny you say that, you know, Kevin and Rick Hobbs, um, being the crew chief are the same. Otherwise, the team has pretty much changed. It's not the same crew that was, uh, around back in 2000 whenever I had ridden for the team four. Uh, you know, I think my 2000 effort was kind of marred by getting injured early in the season at Daytona, and uh, I never got a chance to really fully recover and, and show what I could do that year. So, um, in the last couple of years, I think Kevin has seen that I've kind of grown as a rider a bit and that I could uh, ride, you know, various equipment. I could ride 600s. I could ride 1,000s. And, uh, you know, uh, the couple of years that I've been around, I've become much more of an experienced guy and almost to the point, I guess, that they're starting to call me a veteran <laughs> with all these new young kids at 16 and stuff coming into the sport. But, uh, you know, I, I felt that he has seen that I've always put 110% into my riding and uh, that he felt that he would be able to give me the equipment to go out there and do what we've done this year and be a, be a fixture in the show every weekend, weekend and week out. And uh, other than that, you know, it's funny because a lot of my crew at Arian now has been former attack crews. <laughs> so quite a few of the guys, the younger guys that are crewing on our machines came from attack and I had worked with before over on that side of it. So, uh, we, we're really happy with the crew that we have. Everybody has a really good time. And it, it's funny because I've been around teams that have drama and have separate teams within teams, but, uh, all of our guys get along really well. Our bikes seem to be put together and working extremely good. And we're just having a lot of fun together. It always, always helps when everyone gets along. Um, Absolutely. Formula Extreme has gone exceptionally well for you this year. Super stock though has been uh, a bit of a struggle. Can you talk about, um, the difference there? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of people had uh, really had been down on saying the Honda 1000 wasn't going to be a very good motorcycle. And uh, I, after riding the bike, my initial impression is, hey, you know what, this bike isn't so bad. Sure, it has its weak points, but it has some very strong points also. And we uh, we used some 04s that were street bikes to test previous to the season to try to come up with some ideas because we heard that the bike was changing, but it was not going to be anything revolutionary. And it wasn't. Um, The new 06 bike was very similar to the old bikes, but a little better in every aspect, a little bit better brakes, a little bit better power, uh, lost some weight, so it turned a little easier. But the basic bike itself was was basically the same. I think it's still probably physically a big motorcycle compared to what we're racing against. Speed, outright speed isn't isn't hasn't been um, on par with the other guys, but we have a very stable motorcycle. It's a great platform for that. Um, it has extremely good grip. The ProLink rear suspension setup with our Owens um, seems to be working really well, and we're able to put the power down and, and get going forward very well. So when you when you get good drivability and stability, it really seems to help us. And we've been working really hard on the front end. The first couple of races. We were running around in fifth and sixth place, and I was pretty happy. I said, wow, we're a lot closer than we thought. But there was so much weight being put on the Formula Extreme effort that, 
in the test and things like that, we didn't spend much time with Superstock. We more or less kind of parked the thing and, and just kind of took it as we went. But at one or two tests, we tried some new things and uh, kind of went a certain direction with the bike. In the last four or five races, I think that that's hurt us. And this past weekend at Virginia, I more or less just asked the guys, I said, you know what, back at like Barber or something, we were pretty close, you know, we weren't too far off. What was our setup there? And we looked at it and we saw how it was quite a bit different. And I said, well, you know what, throw that Barber setup on it and let's let's just see, you know, this is his first practice, we got a test, we don't have time to test it, so let's just try and practice. And we did, and instantly I was right back to P5, you know, right where we had left off. And then um, we didn't really mess with the bike too much more. We did some small things, and then come race time, I found myself pretty much fighting for a podium position. I was in the battle for third for most of the race, and uh, that was a huge step forward from what we had been before, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to take that to these last two races and maybe even put on a little bit better show. Is it um, now? Is, is it a big difference between the um, the Formula Extreme bike and then the uh, the Super Stock bike? Yeah, for sure, they're way different. But you know, I'm, I had uh, talked to Kevin in the past, and you know, in in '04 when I rode for Attack, I tried riding a Super Bike and a Super Stock bike, two very similar motorcycles, and you know, having two ZX10s at the time they didn't ride the same. And I found that I was always trying to turn one bike into the other, and there was a lot of confusion between which one we were discussing, which one we were working on kind of thing in debriefs. With the Superstock and the FX bike, it's very easy for me to differentiate between the two. So I can kind of turn the mode from, you know, from switch on for FX to switch off to to Superstock, you know, and and, uh, makes it, I think it's quite a bit easier for me, even though the bikes are much different, it's easier for me to go from one to the next because they do things totally differently. So you put your mind in a totally different mindset rather than, you know, if I were on two 600s, an FX bike to a super sport bike, I'd probably always be trying to turn my super sport bike into my FX bike <laughs> and um, get a little confused between them because the shifts and things like that would be so similar. So um, I, I kind of appreciate having two totally different bikes versus two that are similar but not in something that you can't make two of the same <laughs> yeah no it's cool so um so you're looking for some good things here in these last last two rounds i take it from um not only from stock but obviously um for fx you're going to look to to try and well you almost have to put it on top of the box for fx here don't you yeah right now basically we need two race wins to bring home this championship and uh upon us i'll stop nothing short of that um I want to win these championships. I'm doing, I'm trying to do everything right to guarantee that I do. I'm working really hard at home. I'm working really hard on the mental aspect of it. Um, I know that I have an extremely strong competitor in this and, uh, I enjoy the challenge of it. And it's going to be just like VIR. You're going to see a lot of fights from me. I'm going to be, I plan on being very close, if not on pole every weekend. I want to lead the most laps and I want to win some races come out with 38 points for uh, for both races right i wouldn't mind that a bit man <laughs> <laughs> cool all right two uh two questions off topic that uh and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up we do appreciate your uh, your time here josh uh number one when uh when you spent uh time at uh at your west coast house also known as uh, jason bridmore's place um <laughs> h- how often did you steal the keys to that fancy z06 corvette and take off 
you know, I really never did because anytime I left, I had a bicycle or a motorcycle in the back of my truck. <laughs> but uh, I tell you, Jason enjoys driving his car. <laughs> He's always had something to go super fast in on four wheels, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he has. All right, and then the last uh, the last question, sort of on a more serious note, it's it's literally been, uh, well, maybe not exactly, but real close to one year now since Katrina pretty much took out your hometown there of of Gulfport, Mississippi. Talk a little bit about how um, about what that was like and and what the recovery over the last year for that town has been like. Oh, this is kind of a tough question for me because it's uh, it's one I've had to answer quite a bit this year, and um, you know when the storm hit. You know, most people got to hear the story was, you know, I was out of town. I didn't know what was going on. Um, and I was out. I had to be away racing in Virginia and Atlanta. And uh, I came home to find out that really I was very lucky. My home was not really hurt in the storm. My house, uh, my street ran north and south. And so my house was more or less in the draft uh, of the other houses because we had a north wind. And... Uh, so I just more or less had to put some shingles on my roof. And uh, other than that, I lost a truck. That was at a friend's house. Uh, I had a lot of friends and family that lost a lot. But uh, everybody was alive and okay and is in the process of rebuilding or relocating or whatever they're, you know, in the process of doing. Um, as far as what the coast is like in the last year, I've been very lucky that I was able to uh, get a new home and uh, just kind of upgraded a little bit for myself. And when I have been home, which hasn't been very much this year, I've never traveled so much in my life in one year. Um, I guess meeting a girl from from San Diego or from California and spending time with her out there and then coming back here. I really haven't spent too much time here. What time I have spent here, more or less, I stay around my house and I kind of do my own thing. I've been doing a lot of training, a lot of cycling, a lot of motocross. And then I really don't get down around the beach and um, things like that very much anymore. I just kind of stay in my own little world here and because and, I'm only here for very short times between traveling. So I just kind of enjoyed my time here at my house and relaxed a little bit, done some training. And otherwise, I've been on the road doing work. Sounds Sounds good. So... Um, sounds like everything's good in the world of, uh, of Josh Hayes, a little bit of pressure, but it sounds like that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I got no complaints, you know, and then the racing's a little pressure too, but like, this engagement's been the big pressure. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she heard me say that, so I had a dirty look. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, the pressure I think is good. I think that's what, um, brings true champions out, you know, and, and, uh, between Eric and I and, and possibly even Jason, you know, it's, you know the, the people who shine when the pressure is on are the guys that are, that are the ones that count, you know, and that's what I want to do. I like the pressure. and I came into uh, the championship run in 03 when I won my championship, only six points in front, and, you know, it was a lot of pressure to make sure I, I kept it there and, and won the championship, and I'm enjoying the same thing all over again, and it's exciting for the fans, too, so I'm having fun. Sounds good. Well, Josh, we uh, we appreciate your time, and, and thanks for joining us on uh, Rumble Strip Radio. And um, uh, I'm looking to make the trip down to, to mid-Ohio for the final race of the year, and hopefully we can talk to you uh, after you hold that number one plate in your hand. That sounds good to me. I like that plan. <laughs> All right. Take care, Josh. Thanks, dude.
Listen up, everyone. If you ride a sport bike and you're not listening to the Knee Dragon podcast, you're not getting the whole story. The Knee Dragon podcast is motorcycle talk that doesn't suck. We cover all things sport bike related, from superbike and MotoGP racing to the newest street sport bikes, from riding technique to the latest technology. If it affects our sport, it's in the show. So check it out. www.kneedragon.net. So, as I said, we had a, uh, a, a, a interview scheduled, and, and how'd you like that? Send, uh, send, some feed, send us feedback, uh, rumblestripperradio at gmail.com. And once again, thank you very much to, uh, to Josh Hayes for stopping in and, uh, and chatting with us for a few minutes. I hope you enjoyed that. So, uh, AMA at VIR, let's, uh, let's get to that quickly. Uh, Superbikes, um, yeah, talk about... Uh, you know, I'd say not interesting. Uh, Saturday's race was, uh, well, I guess the big news, let's first off, let's start off. Uh, Spees, Friday accident, bangs up his hand, breaks, uh, breaks some stuff, uh, in his hand. So the fact that, uh, he was able to have the weekend he was, okay, very, very big props to, uh, to Ben Spees for, for being able to pull that off, uh, and, and pulling his, uh, you know, doing what he did and doing what he needed to do to, uh, to grab as many points as he can and, you know, kind of minimize the damage. Um, but you know, it was, it was the Matt Maladden show this year or for VIR, kind of like it hasn't been the Matt Maladden show since, you know, for about a year. So yeah, Maladden just pretty much put the, you know, whatever, like it, no, hello, slow down, try this again. Okay. Maladden did, and his crew did some testing. As they said, they found some things and he looked, like the Maladin of old. Now, does that, with that, does that mean that he can run now with Spees, um, in a sense, head to head, you know, on equal ground? It's going to hard to say because you know they only got a couple weeks for Road Atlanta, and I would almost guarantee you that Spees is still going to be you know hurting pretty good at at Road Atlanta, so he's still probably going to be in damage control mode. So then it comes down to the last race at Mid Ohio. Now. Spees's lead is down to 29 points. That's still a lot. I mean, with three races left, that is a lot of points to make up. Um, is it doable? Sure. But as long as Ben Spees finishes on the podium, it's his, it's his to, uh, to lose. Um, now, he showed on, on Saturday that he can still, I mean, you know, his hands all screwed up and he was still able to finish second. On uh, Sunday, he was hurting a lot more because, well, because he had pushed it hard. Um, you know, and still the damage was at the, you know, initial spot. So if it was really going to swell, that's really when it was going to do it. So he had that. Now he's got a couple weeks off. His hand is still going to be not in the best of shape, but at least it'll be, um, in a little better shape. So if he can, again, do second or third, the key is like he did on, on Saturday, get a good start, run with the lead crew, wait for it to thin out and just stick there and try and get on the podium. That's all he needs to do. Maladin, what does he need to do? He needs to, Forget about any kind of clutch worries he may or may not have. He just needs to hammer it, let it go, and um, and run for the front. He needs to be on pole. He needs to lead most laps, um, and he needs to win. He needs thirty eight points for for Saturday, thirty seven points on on Sunday. You know, it's the only way to do it. It's what he's got to do. Um, you know, uh, Hodgson had a pretty good run. Uh, it looked to be pretty solid for the weekend. Uh, obviously, he finished on the podium on on Saturday with third place. And then, but then crashed out, uh, what, lap two, um, 
on uh, on Sunday. Now, for the uh, the quotes you saw or that I saw, and you, I'm sure you saw as well, is he he said on Sunday, you know, I, I literally I same corner I've done all weekend, same speed, everything was the same, and all of a sudden the front, I lost the front end. Next thing I knew, I was you know. You know, head over ass, tumbling down the road, or at least slight. I don't know if he tumbled that way, but, you know, he slid down the road and lost the bike, uh, and he was out. So maybe he was just pissed. <laughs> maybe he was just pissed from Saturday's press conference. Who knows? Um, obviously, uh, the other news is Saturday there was a press conference for journalists that uh, that got embargoed till Tuesday when they let the when Ducati put out the official release that they would not be returning for 2007. Uh, to compete in AMA Superbike, uh, the fact that it is an expensive series to run, and also the fact that uh, they can't spread the spread the cost over different series, where uh, World Superbike and um, and the British series have essentially the same rules. The AMA has a different set of rules, um, so they have to build special bikes. And you know, you've heard all kinds of things. Not only is it a light and crank, it's a different gearbox, it's different th- sets of different throttle bodies, it's different fuel. Um, you know, until recently it was electronics. There are a lot of different things that make it much more expensive. They have, in a sense, to build a separate, completely separate bike, a separate, completely separate motor program for sure. Um, so they, I think they pretty much said if the AMA wants to, uh, to come on board with uh, you know, rules for the rest of the world, then, then they'll be happy to reenter. Uh, but they do need to um, consolidate some things. They need to uh, put some some money in the bank because they've been bleeding money overseas, and um, and then maybe they'll be back. That, or if they can get someone to step up for a a lead sponsor to offset some of the cost. Now you see Parts Unlimited pretty big on the side of the bike, and I'm sure they're putting some money into the program, but I don't think it's a ton. Um, nowhere near as far as the percentage what uh, Xerox does for World Superbike or what Marlboro. Uh, and, and Philip Morris does for obviously MotoGP. Um, I don't know what the deal is with Xerox, but uh, if it's anywhere along the lines of what Fila was, I think Fila was putting in um, three or four million bucks for that, and I think the maybe it was more than that because that I think that series was taking like eight million to run uh, for two uh, two bikes. So odds are that um, after Mid Ohio, if you uh, if you really have not had a chance to see Neil Hodgson, meet him or watch him race in person. That Mid Ohio is going to be your last shot because uh, rumor is that Neil is uh, going to go back to Europe, race World Superbike, and uh, in all likelihood be uh, teamed back up with Ruben Zaus on uh, sort of on a satellite team. You know, um, Zaus has got his own satellite team this year, and I don't know exactly how they're going to structure that. If if that's the case, but uh, Hodgson and uh, Zaus on frontline equipment next year. In World Superbike and Ducati will run uh, four bikes. Um, obviously, Bayless going to be on the number one bike for the factory team. The question is, is who's going to be the number two rider over there? But um, we'll wait and talk about World Superbike more next week. And um, there's a few more things to talk about. What's going on there? A lot of the carousel starting to turn over there as well. But um, let's see. Uh, Jason Pridmore had a really good weekend. Ran as high as. Um, Fourth or fifth on Saturday, had a pretty solid race on Sunday as well, so good on him. Uh, but Superbike, Maladin, Spees, Hodgson, Duhamel, Yates, Zemke, Pridmore, Tommy, Roger, and then Steve Rapp were your top ten. Um, ben uh, Bostrom was 11th on Saturday, and I guess he got sick again. Ben needs, I don't know what the deal is with Ben, but he's been getting you know heat exhaustion or sick or a couple, like three races in a row now. He's had some issues, and... 
I'm not sure what's going on with him, whether it's a nagging thing or whatever, but uh, he's had some problems, and uh, he needs to get that taken care of. Uh, as far as Sunday, again, it was Maladin Yates, who had a fantastic race. The first time we've seen Yates really do anything all year uh, in Superbike this year, and you know maybe the fact that he doesn't have a contract for next year might might be kicking him in the ass a little bit over there. Um, Duhamel in third, he had a good solid run, and and the Honda's starting to look uh, look like they're finally getting up to speed or at least close to speed. Uh, Speed salvages fourth, Zemke fifth, just uh, not a happy weekend for Zemke. Um, uh, ben Bostrom in sixth, uh, Raj in seventh, Jason in eighth, uh, Matlin in ninth, and uh, Eric Wood in tenth, and uh, Tommy with uh, his, his gear shift lever fell off with uh, with about three laps to go there, so obviously with problems for him. So your uh, your standings, Spee's out on top 560, Maladin with 531, Miguel uh, 443, Aaron Yates 393, Neil Hodgson 387, Tommy in sixth with 384, Jake in seventh with 376, uh, Jason 332 in eighth, uh, Bebaz in ninth with 329, and The Worm wraps up your top ten uh, with 299. Uh, Super Sport, yeah, let's talk about this next. Uh, big news is we now have our first AMA champion for 2006, and that, of course, is Jamie Hacking uh, on the Yamaha. So congratulations go out to Jamie Hacking for that. Um, he was pretty much in the driver's seat anyways, um, and Raj was really going to have to push hard to to even have a shot in. Well, Raj was doing what he needed to do. He was pushing hard and trying to run up front and ended up crashing out. So um, that, uh, with Raj dropping out in the race, that uh, that gave the championship to Jamie. And, you know, Jamie's just looked unbeatable here this last, uh, what, last half of the race or last half of the year. So uh, your race was hacking Jeff May up into second spot. And uh, Michael Barnes into third. Uh, our friend Chris Paris, uh, back from Europe to race uh, this round, was fourth. So uh, a great run from Chris. He was almost up there. Almost, he was just like this close to being able to mix it up there um, with uh, with Barney and May at times. and just couldn't quite get there. So, But uh, great weekend for Chris Paris. Uh, Benatard in fifth. Blake Young in sixth. Uh, Bucky in seventh. Danny Eslick in eighth. And uh, Jeff Wood in ninth. And Tony Myring in, in tenth. So your points at this point, you were, uh, obviously your 2006 champion is going to be Jamie Hacking. Danny Eslick now up into second spot. Uh, Jeff May in third with uh, 201. I'm sorry, Hacking 294 at this point. Eslick 204, May 201. Uh, Benatard 199. Raj falls all the way back into fifth now with 197. Barney in sixth with 180, or excuse me, 191. Blake Young in seventh with 180. Tony Myring 154 and eighth. Uh, Michael Beck in ninth with 130, and uh, Bucky in 10th with 127. And let's see, we're going to skip over that, and we're going to talk about super stock first. Um, uh, the hacking streak kind of broken by Ebaz, uh, who uh, who kind of got out there and, and ran with it. Uh, so Boz won, uh, won super stock over hacking and DeSalvo, so a Yamaha sweep of the podium. Uh, Yates in fourth. Josh back up in uh, fifth spot, as he had talked about in our interview. Uh, Steve Rapp in sixth. Uh, May in seventh. Uh, usually uh, looks a little better, had a, usually a better run, but not so much uh, this time. Matt Lynn in eighth, another good uh, run for Matt Lynn. And uh, Damon Buckmaster in ninth. And Marty Craigle in tenth. Your points for Superstock. 
Uh, Jamie Hacking still out uh, in front with the lead. Uh, Yates trying to do something, but uh, he need, Yates he needed to have a little better weekend um, to make that happen. But anyways, so uh, 314 to 282. Uh, hacking over Yates to Salvo 252, Jeff May 241, uh, Josh in fifth with 218, Ebaz 205, uh, Steve Rapp in seventh with 174, Marty Craigel in eighth with 172, uh, Aaron Gobert in ninth with 171, and uh, Chris Ulrich in uh, tenth with 166. Um, don't really need to hear too much from me about the Form Extreme race because I think Josh did a did a nicer recap of that for you. Um, you know, he and, he and Ebaz kind of got out there and, uh, and Josh was leading out front and, and Eric got, just got around him at the end. Josh pushed back, couldn't quite get him. And, and Ebaz got them, got him at the stripe by, oh, what was that? About a 10th and a half at the stripe. So, uh, Boz, Hayes, uh, DeSalvo, Aaron Gobert, Barney, Ryan Andrews, um, Eric Wood, uh, Blake Young, Chris Paris. And Ty Howard were your top ten, and uh, Fuzzy uh, Steve Crevier on a Buell in in eleventh. Your points. Here we go. This is the tight battle. It's uh, Eric Bostrom two eighty six, Jason DeSalvo two eighty four, and Josh Hayes two eighty three, um, and then Aaron Gobert in fourth, way back with uh, two thirty seven. Uh, Ryan Andrews uh, fifth with one in uh, one ninety nine. Blake Young one sixty and six. Tony Myring uh, one fifty eight in seventh. Barney, 155 and 8th. Um, Ty Howard, 9th with 144. And uh, Opie Kaler, 133 uh, in 10th. But um, Opie's going to be stuck there because uh, I believe I saw the press release where Opie is pretty much going to take the rest of the year off. He has some personal – he's had personal issues to deal with, but I think it's a business issue to deal with. He's uh, in the process of trying to get uh, a business up and running and needs to focus his energy uh, over there um, and, and get that going. So. Uh, it's not like he's making a crap load of money, you know, riding a motorcycle. Uh, he's making a little bit of money, which is cool. But, um, you know, he's got to do the things that's really going to pay the bills. And, and so he's got to get and, you know, look for his future. So he's got to take care of the, uh, the business he's got going down there into the Atlanta area, Marietta. Yeah, I think Marietta, Georgia, um, and get that taken care of. So we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll see Opie back next year. So. Anyways, that uh, that's the AMA. It was a, it was a pretty good weekend at VAR. I think uh, total attendance they said there was uh, over fifty thousand for the weekend, which is good. Uh, that is, it's a great. If you get a chance to go to VAR, it's an absolutely great track. It's great people there, and I'm bummed that I haven't been able to go back in a couple of years. And but hopefully next year I'll get to go. Um, but it's a great event. They they usually go out of their way to do a lot of things for the fans over the weekend. They usually have movies and stuff for the people that camp there. Um, so I would encourage you to. Uh, to go check it out. So uh, with that, we are running along, and uh, apologize for that. But uh, uh, once again, want to thank Josh Hayes for coming in, and we're running along because we we went a little bit with Josh, but that was okay. It was uh, it was good to have him in. He's kind of an old friend of the strip from uh, way back in the day. Um, known Josh since what ninety eight? Yeah, I think ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety nine. We have a mutual friend who introduced us, and have known Josh for a while. So, anyways, with that, we're going to get the hell out of here, and. Um, Let's try that again. There we go. Uh, so, anyways, thanks for stopping in. Uh, spread the news, spread the word, spread the gospel about a Rumble Stripper Radio. Feedback of always, as always, welcome at uh, RumbleStripRadio at gmail.com. The website www.arumblestripperradio.com. So, until next week, have fun, be good, and most important, keep on two wheels.
Rumble Strip Radio is a production of Raul Duke Media, LLC, and is protected under a Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved.